It's all the files of the whole park. It tells you everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle one, the package is being delivered. It used to be that American hackers in the NSA were the unrivaled world number ones at the cyber. But like most other things in the world, American hegemony in cyberspace has quickly faded as the empire looks like it's in decay. When it comes to hacking powers across the world, many countries have caught up to the US of A. So as July 4th nears, Lorenzo Franceschi Bichirai and I are going to be discussing America's standing among the world powers of cyberspace. And yes, that's right, two immigrants to your country are going to be discussing the status of American exceptionalism. I'm Ben Maku, and this is Cyber. Happy 4th of July, Lorenzo. Happy Independence Day. Are you watching the movie again this weekend? I am. You know what? I Now that you say it, it does bring together two of my favorite things. Uh, 90s Will Smith, Aliens, and... And I think Bill is now Bill Murray's not in that. Who's in that again? Bill Pullman. Yes. Jeff Goldblum's in it. And and also, like, if you think about it, it's a very, it's a very timely story. You know, there's a virus that they use to kill the aliens. That's true. I mean, that's all I have actually about the virus, but it's still a good movie. I think it's. Well, in this, these times of uh, social decay and uh, destruction. Maybe it's a good time to watch Independence Day when you, you find out that uh, yeah. there's a way out, apparently. Yeah, there's a way out. I mean, granted, you have to send a guy with a jet uh, up the aliens' buttholes, basically. But yeah, yeah. I, you know, I don't know if that metaphor works for the current times. Well, it definitely feels like... It's definitely an uplifting this, movie. This is a whole bunch of shit up some shitholes this is not good anyway <laughs> i'm not going to get into it because i'm just going to get angry if we start talking about what's going on in this country right now but in patriotic terms let's talk about whether or not america has the best hackers anymore because there was a time i think we could all agree i think most people would agree that the u.s enjoyed sort of this unmitigated cyber supremacy maybe even as 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 you know as near term as 2017, 2018 even. But now it's pretty clear that not only is there a decay in the American empire in many fields, but also cyber in, in, in terms of hackers. So what do you, what do you think? Are we still number one? <laughs> Does um, it matter? <laughs> I mean, I think... I think it's, we could say that the U.S. is still number one, but it's also like that's such a tough question to answer. And it depends what we're actually talking about. Right. Like, as you said, the NSA is widely believed to be, you know, the elite of the elite in terms of hacking powers. Um, and, you know, we have a decent amount of evidence to back that up, especially thanks to Edward Snowden and his revelations you know, we we saw what the NSA was capable of 10 years ago with, with those documents, right? And, and you know, it's fair to say when those came out, people were like, holy shit, this is incredible, right? Like, you know, they were like, they are actually pretty fucking good. And obviously they have no interest in telling you how good they are. So we don't know how how they have either improved or decayed in the last few years. But I think another way to look at it is, 
you know, other countries have probably been catching up, especially after the, the Snowden documents, right? Like, put it, let's put it this way. If you're Russia, India, uh, Iran, uh, China, obviously, those documents come out and you're like, holy shit, the NSA can do this? Fuck, man. We, we need to catch up. We need to do it too. And, you know, those documents didn't have like maybe all the technical details on how to do certain things, but they definitely laid a roadmap to certain capabilities. And they gave a lot of clues on, you know, not only just what the NSA is interested in, but what how the NSA does what it does. So I think, you know, it's been, hell, it's almost been 10 years since Snowden. Seven, um, yeah, well, seven, seven years. years. Seven, still, yeah, it's still seven, a long okay. time to sort of figure it out. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a long time. And, you know, and, and, and we have to remember that, you know, like, we, we, we need to not be deceived by the fact that, you know, in the news, including, you know, advice and motherboard, we usually talk about Russian hackers, Chinese hackers, sometimes NSA. Like, that is a product of the fact that, well, it, it's a complicated, it's a complicated uh, thing to explain. But, you know, American companies talk about Chinese hackers because that's what Chinese hackers attack, right? The Chinese hackers attack American companies. And so, they get caught and cybersecurity companies talk about Chinese hackers. They talk about Russian hackers. They talk about Iranian hackers. But, you know, the reality is that everyone is hacking everyone. And every country, if they're not already, you know, if they already don't have their own hacking units, they're thinking about it and they're working Or they're on buying it. it. Or they're buying it. So, you know, I, I think the reality right now, it's 2020. And especially now, the reality is that you need to have... Cyber, capabil cyber capabilities if you are any government, especially superpowers or big countries like France, which nobody nobody ever talks about in cyber. Also a player in cyber. They're surely, they're surely good. Uh, you know, the UK, uh, even South Korea, because, you know, all these countries are, they have also think about it another way. All these countries have IT talent. Uh, they have very good technologists. They have um, so they have like a, hist a history already of like developing IT talent. So, so it's not that hard, for example, for India probably to put together a decent uh, hacking unit because, you know, they're already, they're already pretty good at computers. They have a giant pool of talent. It's a giant country. Well, I mean, but so, that also, it kind yeah. of makes you think about the States too and how the States draws power and draws talent because it used to be, you know, something you'd mm -hmm. always hear and you've, you've been reporting on this long enough to know this to be true, but first it was always like, you know, you do a short stint in the NSA, you get out and like mm -hmm. some major company is going to throw a ton of money at you to work for them as, you know, a security, a security analyst or something, or, you know, you're going to go searching for bugs for a particular company, who knows, but you have a, there's a cachet and people would do it right there. That's why you'd take the $65,000 job and have to mm -hmm. work in in dc versus you know going all the way to silicon valley or california and living a yeah. cooler life but now it seems like people that talent is just being scooped up right away instead of it going to the government yeah. first and then going back and i think part of that also has to do with with snowden and how snowden almost made it yeah. unpopular to work for the feds we're going to be talking about surveillance in our lives yeah, this means we're going to be talking about Power. Whether we're talking about Facebook, uh, determining what ads you see, or something rather more concrete, uh, information today is a convenient means 
It's a mechanism for attaining a certain power. And that power today is control. Surveillance technologies have outpaced democratic controls. Yeah, definitely. All that is completely true. Like you hit all the major points. Like also we have to think that, you know, the NSA became amazing, you know, in the early 2000s and, um, you know, beginning of 2010s because this was post 9-11, right? Post 9-11, I imagine it was very easy to recruit young talent and tell them, hey guys, you're a computer whiz. We need you to save America. We need you to save the Western civilization against these terrorists. It was a, it was such an easier sell, you know, to convince those um, college kids or even high school kids to do like an internship at the NSA and get them into the pipeline because there was this sort of patriotic sentiment, right? And that was so powerful. You know, so many of the, I, I bet that so many of those former NSA people that we, you know, we both know and that are on Twitter and stuff like that, so many of them would tell you, yeah, of course, you know, like I wanted to save, I wanted to save the world. And, and in the early 2000s, saving the world wasn't going to Google, wasn't going to Facebook, it was going to the government. And then now it's 2020 and well, you know, the government is not the same, first of all. Like, it's not as exciting to go work for the Trump administration, first of all. And also, there's no... Well, who is the, you know, who is the big enemy that we're fighting? I mean, yeah, there's Russia. But especially right now, you know, in the in the historical moment we are, the big enemy is this virus that has nothing to do with cybersecurity. And arguably, you know, the government has fucked it up. So it's... It's just it's just a different time, and it's it's as you I think as you were hinting, it's much harder to convince someone to go work for the NSA for sixty five seventy thousand dollars when they can go to Google, get paid literally maybe even ten times as much honestly, and and do more, you know, just as important work arguably and also a less stressful work right because if you go work for the NSA then you have to have a cover. You cannot talk to your friends about it. You know, all these things that like some people may be okay with. Some others are like, you know what? I'm going to go live in San Francisco, hack on things and and be famous on Twitter. Yep, exactly. And it's, I mean, I guess that kind of also speaks to the whole premise of this. I mean, there's no mistake we're doing this podcast on the lead up to July 4th at a time in America where I would say patriotism, depending on where you are, is probably almost at an all time low. Or at least like it's the lowest I've ever seen or experienced across the course of my plus 30 years on planet Earth. But it sort of makes you wonder about what happens with the decline of the American empire, both in in its military and its military industrial complex. And that includes signals intelligence. So if you see this decline mm-hmm. in, in the powers of the NSA and five eyes, what comes next? And maybe, I mean, maybe it's a good thing. Uh Obviously, it represents the national interest, which has clearly been something akin to white supremacy. So maybe this is a is mm-hmm. a good decline. But whatever it is, it just seems like there's some degree of chaos that could follow from it. Yeah, and I think we're starting to see it, right? Like, I think the chaos is already around us. You know, I'm not talking just about, obviously, the the current events. But like, even in cyber, you know, we, we see much more... We see many more like, uh, I don't know, North Korean crazy hacks. You know, they're, they're stealing money left and right uh, from banks left and right. And it seems like they, have, they don't give a fuck, basically. Um, 
you know, the, the Israelis are accusing Iran of shutting down a water dam, I think. You know, it's it's like there's an escalation that's going on around the world. And it's not just because I think we're everyone is getting better at catching hackers. So, so you know, these attacks come out because we detect them. But it's also because people are catching up, you know, countries are catching up and... And this is the new reality, you know, any, if you are a serious country and you want to have a, an espionage program uh, or, you know, you're either at war or scared to be at war or worried about being at war, then you need to do cyber espionage. You need to use cyber operations and and cyber warriors, for lack of a better word, um, to achieve your goals. And, you know, nobody has been better at that, I think, than China in the sense and by that, I mean catching up to the U.S. because China is basically, you know, 20 years ago, probably they've, they've looked at the U.S. and they're like, OK, guys, this is what we need to do to catch up. And, you know, they started hacking left and right, stealing military secrets that they used to develop their own military technology. And in cyber, they basically said, look, the U.S. is better than us, but we are we have more people. And also we have the power to force them to do what we want, um, which in this case means it's easier to recruit hackers to work for their signals intelligence uh, units because the tech scene is just not as big there, right? There's no Google that attracts. And if there is, you know, maybe Alibaba or companies like that, it's it's just a different country, I think. You know, I think it's easier probably to convince a young Chinese tech whiz to go work for the signals intelligence there. Also something that has happened uh, recently that I think still doesn't get as much attention as it should is that China has, you know, put out a law that says if you have zero days, which are basically, you know, cyber weapons, if you if you will. I know it's kind of a cringe word, but, you know, it, they're basically tools that are used in war, cybersecurity tools used in war. So if you have those, you have to go to the Chinese government first by law. Which is like, wild. That's a, that's a right, wild law. It, which is... Which is wild, but that is the future. It's happening. Like it's happening in many places too. And and the 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 dirty little secret of American cybersecurity is that it's been happening in America for a while, but there's no law. It's more like a unwritten agreement. Like if you're a very good American hacker or you're like a let's say a small shop in DC or whatever, and you do that kind of work, if you wanna have the NSA as a client, you gotta work only with the NSA. Like you cannot sell to the NSA and then on the side sell to the French even or even the Brits, to be honest. So so this is the future, unfortunately, or fortunately, who knows? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't care, you know, like, I don't know if that's an unfortunate thing or a fortunate thing. I think it's just the reality that's going to be we have to grapple with. Yeah, I mean, like, whatever it is, things are changing. And I think that's a really good point when you say, you know, you're getting North Korean hackers doing some wild shit because they because they can. There's no. There's no central authority that's dissolving or, or stopping them. And it kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, one of my least favorite things ever written in the history of shit that I had to read in university, uh, <laughs> which was which was uh, Francis Fukuyama's End of History. Did you, did you have to read that? Mm-hmm. I, I haven't read it. No one forced me to, unfortunately. Oh, I remember I read it in like, first year of political philosophy or some something like that. And I remember I was like, wait a second. So this, this means in like our study group, this means that 
the whole premise of this is that you like beat the Soviet Union. So history ceases to exist. Like now it's just, mm. we're all happy and all the countries just will be America's best friend and nothing bad will ever happen again. It's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's what it means. I'm like, that's the dumbest fucking yeah, thing that worked out. I've ever read in my life. I'm like, how does, that's exactly anyone, what happened. how does anyone think something as stupid as this is, is actually like, we're going to teach this to people like what? Yeah. And then you look at, you look at the current. Yeah. That's you, exactly what happened. Right. And that's exactly, you look at the current predicament and it's just, it's the complete and utter opposite, but we're starting to see that and how it's, how it's starting to take place both. And I think honestly that the signals, intelligence, cybersphere, again, a cringe word, but word that's, you know, it's worth saying that that's where you'll start to see the real decline of the American empire. That's, there's going to be the first, you know, the mm -hmm. first section or sectors we will witness you know, mm -hmm. the, the loss of that territory, the loss of that influence, the loss of that dominance. And, dominance, and I think we're starting yeah. to see that right now. And that, just like everything else in, in cyber, it creeps into the kinetic world eventually. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And I think this brings, you know, brings the, the you know, the, the bear in the room, you know, the, the Russians, like we have barely talked about them, but that's a, that's a you know, we need to talk about them because, um, you know, if, if there was a time when people thought that like defeating the Soviets was the end of everything, then it's clear that that was wrong because obviously in 2016, the Russians embarrassed, uh, to be quite frankly, um, to be quite frank, the U.S. Uh, with the election interference operation. This just into CNN, Russian hackers managed to infiltrate the computer network at the Democratic National Committee. And what information did they apparently zero in on? Well the opposition research file on one Mr. Donald J. Trump. And, and I think what's striking about that operation is that it wasn't even that good. Like if you, when you look at it, you know, especially now four years later, it was pretty rudimentary. Mm -hmm. um, and, that's, and that's because, you know, the Rus Russia is also, I mean, has been for much longer than the U.S. in decay. But, but that what, shows you, what that shows you is that in cyber, you don't need to be, you don't need tanks, you don't need nuclear uh, bombs that are hard to get and the, the materials are, maybe you have sanctions that prevent you from getting them. You know, to be good at cyber, all you need is a bunch of computers and people that know what they're doing with it. So, so that's why North Korea, a country that's like arguably, you know, the most, or I mean, a country that is struggling with so many basic things can be almost a superpower in, in cyber because they're basically like, you know, they realize that they cannot compete with tanks and they're going to compete in, with computers. And, and, that, and also that what's interesting about that is that when a country like North Korea gets very good, then it's, you know, most immediate enemy, South Korea, needs to get as good too because they are the ones that have to deal with them most of the time. So we, we're starting to see like, you know, India getting very good because they're worried about the Chinese uh, South Korea getting very good because they're worrying about the North Koreans. So who knows? Maybe, you know, we haven't even talked about European countries. Like maybe, you know, European countries must be worried about the Russia as well, obviously. So, you know, and it's Middle Eastern countries are also getting into the game with mostly with contractors like Dark Matter, which we've, I think we've talked about in the pod and we've definitely written about. 
you know, it's just 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 the the world we live in right now. Everyone has to cyber. Everyone has. We got a cyber. You got more. a cyber. And while America declines, many are seeing great opportunity, even in the signals intelligence sphere. <laughs> was that was that sci-fi enough? That was weird, wasn't it? I had a weird tone there. <laughs> yeah, but maybe we do live in sci-fi times, you know? It's, no, we absolutely I do. I hang out with people on Zoom and, uh, you know, I play video games and don't see anyone. That's uh, this is uh, I think we are in a dystopian sci-fi novel right now. Yeah, I think I think it's, you know, it's a very cliche 2020 thing to say, but I continually am surprised by the news. Like if you told me a month ago that the cases of coronavirus were were actually would be exceeding exponential rates that I didn't, nobody saw coming like a hundred thousand cases a day in the United States right now in the middle of summer, when everyone was like worrying about the fall and the fall is going to be this surge and the, the second wave and blah, blah, blah. I would have been like, no, no way. It's going to get better in the summer. Right. <laughs> and here we are. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, here we are. Yeah. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be interesting to see what countries like China and Russia and maybe even Iran, um, how they use this crisis to, you know, sow discontent and try to do basically what the Russians did six, uh, four years ago, you know, try to do some disinformation, some cyber operations uh, in that sense. Because, yeah, I mean, the you know, everyone is stuck at home. Uh, so it's maybe we're even more vulnerable to that kind of thing this year. And um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next few months. Definitely. Well... Thank you for a very optimistic, happy 4th of July cyber. can always count on me for optimism. <laughs> ciao, ciao. Thanks. Thanks, Ben. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Jason, welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey Ben, how are you? Uh, I'm getting. I got to be honest with you. I mentioned this in the interview with uh, Lorenzo. I'm getting a little bit pissed off at this country. I'm getting a little oh, pissed are off. You tell me more. <laughs> I just, I really, I just need these virus rates to go way the fuck down because this is just. Yeah, I hear. I hear we're not allowed into Europe anymore. <laughs> well, I'm just never going to be allowed to go back to Canada. That's just going to be. <laughs> a thing I'll yeah I'll live in exile. Yeah. So I was listening to our episode from last week, which I thought was very good. You did a very good job with Huawei. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and Cipher. I mean, I thought I did a decent job. I, I talked about the stories, but I, I felt a little low energy. Like my energy wasn't coming through the mic. So I'm gonna scream into the microphone. <laughs> and uh, just I was make wondering sure what you. I was wondering really where, where this pep was coming from. Yeah. 
I got an iced coffee. <laughs> Made it myself, cold brew. Yeah, I was gonna say, you, I'm all, I'm all high on Mountain Dew. Just feeling really manic. I'm all high on Mountain Dew. What's that line from? Greatest generation, my ass. Tom Brokaw is a punk. What is wrong with you? Chip, I'm all jacked up on Mountain Dew. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I don't know, but I had Mountain Dew the other day for the first time in like 15 years. Shit's good. Very good. Shout out Mountain Dew. Is it good? Yeah, it's good. It's gamer fuel. It, it, the, to me, like the 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 color is what I I can't I can't get behind it. You don't like neon green, neon green yellow. No, it's just not right. It's not right. Okay. I, I like well, a, but uh, I like a Coca Cola though. I got to tell you, I do. I like a Coca Cola. Yeah, I don't I don't drink a lot of soda, and I didn't drink soda for like years and years. But I tried. Uh, I always liked Mountain Dew when I was like a kid. And then I I tried it the other day, it, and it's it's delicious. It's it is hacker fuel, you know. It's you're right. Okay, this is let's just start with the first one. Here it comes because I like this story. Also, I'm a follower of the Chapo Trap House scene, and this great Reddit ban. Two thousand communities, including the Donald, which we all know is a pretty that one's not. It's pretty. Pretty toxic, but yeah, that was, I mean, there's pretty big news, but it felt like to me, and tell me if I'm wrong, it was a bit of a case of like, Reddit is going to destroy all of these far right accounts and they like had to pacify the other side and they were, they thought to themselves, well, we'll go after the quote unquote far left as well. Yeah, so Reddit announced uh, yesterday what users are calling the great ban. So the Donald is banned, the Chapo Trap House subreddit is banned, and- Cometown, uh, Cometown is, is banned. Yeah, RIP. <laughs> and uh, a bunch of other subreddits that were doing hateful things. Um, the Donald is really like the big one here, um, even though it's been quarantined for, I think about a year now. So its influence has really waned, but I did a big piece on the Donald during the lead up to the 2016 election. And that's where a lot of uh, Donald Trump's like memes that he was reposting were sort of funneling through. Um, and they, they originated there or they originated on a discord and they eventually made their way up to Trump's Twitter feed. So it was like definitely a relevant subreddit and they got very good at like gaming, Reddit, et cetera, et cetera. So um, the banning of it is like, kind of the end of an era, a very bad era. It, it was full of hate and misogyny and anti-Semitism and anti-Muslim sentiment, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yes. And it's gone now. Which is fantastic. Yes, it's good. And uh, so the Chapo Trap House uh, subreddit was also banned. I can't say that I know very much about this subreddit. I don't know much about this subreddit the podcast, either. But I, I'm not sure what was going on there. And it's banned now so it's gone but um we saw a lot of social media platforms taking action earlier this week um it was reddit we also saw twitch ban president trump's feed which is crazy um i mean it's just just like a big thing yeah and there was also not that many people were talking about and then stephen molyneux yeah youtube banned stephen he got another one today too he got another one today some other folks uh, yeah, Stephen Molyneux got banned from Twitch as well. That's right, Twitch. I yeah, yeah, I think you're right. 
I mean, so I mean, it's, that's pretty. The, 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 it's not not well deserved. That's for sure. Right, and 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 so this all happened sort of like on the same day, within a couple hours of each other, and presumably this happened because a lot of advertisers are moving away from Facebook because Facebook hasn't taken action on some of Trump's uh, calls to violence, as well as uh, hasn't taken action on a lot of white supremacist communities there. So uh, I think that with advertisers pulling out of Facebook, other social media networks want to show like, hey, we do take this stuff seriously and we're taking this down. Exactly. I I mean, the thing too is just, I'm glad this is happening because we've done a ton of reporting on this, on how this has been something you've had to like seriously fight for with big companies. And then it's, it's, it, I mean, it's taken this massive social movement to finally put the pressure on them to be, to be real and think, Oh, maybe we should get these, these accounts off of our, off our platforms. I mean, you think of it this way, the fact that the Boogaloo movement was so active on Facebook and, and continued to be, even when it was called out, is just absurd to me. And then only recently, apparently, they may or may not be taking some action. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are seeing them take, like some of these uh, platforms take action against the biggest and worst of these um, communities slash players slash influencers or whatever you want to call them. But still, they're not doing a great job overall. Like I would say Facebook and Twitter are not doing a very and YouTube are not doing a great job of keeping white supremacy and hate off of their platforms. But I mean, these are some, some steps and we see this, you know, maybe once or twice a year where they ban someone big and then there's a backlash or maybe there's not a backlash, but it, it goes into the news for a little while and then we talk about it and then some other bad people pop up and they're left on for too long and the cycle continues. So, I mean, we'll see what happens here, but it is, it's certainly notable. Oh yeah. And I think, I think like maybe you, I mean, YouTube is probably one of the worst and they, they seem to get the least amount of scrutiny because you can just go and find all sorts of wild stuff that I report on, on YouTube. So there's still a lot of work to be done is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. So Um, on to the next one. And this is an interesting, well, we've done a lot of reporting on police recently, haven't we? We have, yes. For obvious reasons. And this one is about Detroit police. Yeah. uh, Last week, there was a huge story in the New York Times, NPR, a couple other places uh, brought to attention by the ACLU in which a man named Robert Julian Borchak Williams was wrongfully arrested because of facial recognition technology. So the Detroit police sort of inaccurately identified him as a shoplifter at a Shinola store, which he wasn't anywhere near at the time, and they went and arrested him. So there's been a backlash, understandably, to this. And Detroit Police Chief James Craig, in a a teleconference on Monday, we're recording this Tuesday, on Monday said that, uh, quote, if we were to use the software only to identify suspects, we would not solve the case 95 to 97% of the time. Which is just like a, a totally damning absurd. statement. Yeah, come on. So, I, I mean, what he's saying here, um, 
is that they use facial recognition technology to get a lead on a suspect and then they go and question some of those suspects and then they sort of use other police and detective work to determine whether to arrest a person. That's at least what he was trying to say. Um, But in practice, this means that, you know, even if they are identifying the wrong person and they're not arresting them, they are putting that person in touch with police. Like the, the police are knocking on their door and you have then an interaction between police and people uh, that is completely unwarranted because of faulty algorithms and inaccurate software, which is not a good thing. <laughs> no. Yeah. And so I, I called up DataWorks Plus, which is the company that makes the software that Detroit used. And I read them uh, this quote from police chief Craig And they're like, yeah, we don't keep statistics on how accurate our software is, which is concerning to say the least. Um, But they also said that, you know, their software isn't designed to bring back a single candidate um, who is uh, presumed to be the suspect. They send back basically like hundreds of potential matches and then it's weighted with the percentage system, like how close is this match? And so that means you have hundreds of people who are, sort of brought into a potential police action just because this software isn't very accurate. So that's bad. Yeah, and it just seems like it's it's maybe a bit too quick on the draw to use this kind of stuff, period. Like, if you can't trust it completely, well, then why use it at all? I mean, right. I, this, goes, been- this goes beyond even the arguments of, you know, the many arguments against how this is just creating a big brother state the degree of which we don't even want to discuss because it's so advanced if we get to the point of like facial recognition, everything, but just even beyond that, like it doesn't work. (laughs) Right. It doesn't work. And it's also like, yeah, the software is being rolled out. It's like, uh, in big cities in Detroit is a test bed for this. And it's essentially experimenting on people. It's like, you know, the more you use the technology in theory, the more accurate it will become. But like in the meantime, there are major growing pains. And like you said, you can create a surveillance state using this. And it's also like we know that AI and especially facial recognition software is biased because of the uh, training data that it uses. We know that it's not very good at uh, looking at black and brown faces because it's not trained on them, you know, in the same way that it's trained on white faces and then you look at how this technology has been used in the real world. And as part of uh, Detroit's use of this software, the police department there is required to put out a weekly report on how it's used. And so far this year, it's been used in 70 cases. Uh, 68 of them have used a black person's photo. Uh, and then two of them have been unidentified. So I guess maybe like grainy footage where the race of the person was not, um, wasn't, readily discernible so it's like we can say that so far in detroit this software and this technology is being used only against black people and black communities and mostly black men i think it's yeah 65 of the 70 are of black men and it's like this is not technology that's being used or deployed in a thoughtful way and it's being used against specifically one race of people it's it's not a good thing it's it shouldn't be it shouldn't be used like this. Like this is clearly not ready to be used. Clearly there are not proper safeguards around it. And clearly it's not accurate enough to be used right now. No, no. And I, and like I said, 
the massive existential questions around creating an AI facial recognition state, it just seems defective already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then one other uh, bad police use of technology this week to note is in Tempe, Arizona, police used a drone to surveil a protest and ultimately arrested three people based on drone footage um, for the crime of blocking a car. Which is like, truly insane. Yeah. And I mean, I used to cover drones a lot. Like that's how I got my start in writing about tech almost 10 years ago now. And uh, I've been writing about the domestic use of drones, both by hobbyists as well as police um, and government agencies. And at the beginning, there was a huge, like there was huge concern that police were going to use drones in ways uh, that were scary. But ultimately, like in the early days, the technology just wasn't that good. Like the cameras weren't that great. The drones couldn't fly for that long. Like you maybe had like a 10 or 12 minute battery life. And so they weren't being deployed very often. And they were largely being deployed in like search and rescue operations, which is cool and like good use of drones, like looking for missing persons and, and stuff like that. But we're increasingly seeing them being used to surveil protesters. Um, this is now... Only the third case that I can find or that I readily know of where police used a drone to arrest people. The United Nations says police forces around the world should stop using facial recognition technology on people attending peaceful protests. Um, and the first one was in 2012 when a Department of Homeland Security predator drone was used to surveil this guy named Roddy Brosart in uh, North Dakota. And that was part of like a weeks long standoff with police. I'm not saying it was the right thing, but it was like a really weird situation where there was like a weeks long armed standoff with police over a stolen cow. Um, very odd. <laughs> uh, and then in 2014, also in North Dakota, police chased uh, some DUI suspects through a cornfield with a drone. And then since then, I haven't really heard of much of anything. And that's not to say that it didn't happen because I haven't been paying as close attention, but I didn't see much of it going on. And then this week, you have people getting arrested via drone for protesting. Yeah, it's another one of those signs of the dystopia <laughs> that we're in. Yeah. All right. So this last, I don't call it a story as much as let's just shout it out. This is just a really cool thing that we did. And Edward hosted it. Yeah. So, uh, Edward Angueso, who's been on this show before motherboard, uh, reporter was on a webinar, I guess, a, I don't know. A webinar sounds so lame, but on a, on an event a vice news and Mijente event with Naomi Klein, uh, Edward Snowden and Jacinta Gonzalez of Mijente talking about the surveillance of black and brown people uh, during the pandemic, as well as during these protests. So uh, that live stream is on the Vice News YouTube. You can go check it out. It's a very thoughtful conversation and uh, all of those people rule. So go listen to it. It was great. Yes. And Edward is the man. He's done some pretty incredible labor reporting for us and is also his Twitter is just hilarious. Frequently cracks me up. I got to say. Yeah, he is very funny and good. Um, cool. Have a good uh, 4th of July, everyone. And we'll be back next week. Have a great 4th of July. And please, people, please just wear a mask. Oh, my God. Wear a mask, please. Hope Ben can go outside. 
traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.